And I want to try to preach a message to you this morning titled, Poison Envy. Poison Envy. Now be honest this morning. How many of you are allergic to poison ivy? You ever been? Uh, if you're not, you should be at the altar today thanking God that you can't catch that stuff. Because it is terrible. My wife and I are bad about I can look at a picture of it and about catch it. And it's bad. But what it does is, if you've never had it, I'm sure you've seen people with it, it'll usually start off as one little blister. And you think, well, this is manageable. I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to lather myself in this pink Caladryl lotion. And you walk around. By the end of the day, the week, you look like Piglet because you're all pink. Right? Because that stuff has spread all over the place. It's terrible. And so it's real easy to spot somebody that's been infected by poison ivy because it's everywhere and you've got the, the stuff all over you trying to dry it up. But if you've been infected and all, here's the bad thing, you might be able to escape poison ivy, you can't escape envy. We all to some degree are going to battle this, this sin. And so the bad thing is about it, not only do we all have a tendency to get it, it's really hard to notice, especially in ourselves. It's really hard to be seen in ourselves. So I want to look today at that topic. I want to look today at envy. And uh, I want us to see that if we let it lay in our hearts, if we let it linger, it's going to spread. And it's going to affect a lot of other things in our lives as well. So as we, as we get started here in this text, I think it's important to distinguish some terms. Because a lot of times we talk about envy and we talk about jealousy. And while I think there are some similarities there, I think it's important to distinguish them, okay? So, they can be used interchangeably, but there is a little bit of a difference. What would the difference be? I found this definition by a preacher named Ray Fowler that I thought was really, really a good way of describing it. Listen to what he says. He says, envy is desiring something that someone else has. So when someone else has something and you want it, you think you deserve it, that's envy. Jealousy is not wanting someone else to have what you got. So you've already got something and you're protective of that. You don't want anybody else to tread on your turf, to try to come and, and take or do what you're doing. That's jealousy. He said, envy says, I want what you've got. Jealousy says, don't touch what I've got. Envy is marked by covetousness. Jealousy is marked by possessiveness. Envy makes you resentful. Jealousy makes you territorial. That is a great way of looking at it. A great way of defining it. So I want to look at our text today from 1 Samuel 18. And I want to try to see three things that we can pick out in our text today. So look with me, 1 Samuel 18. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 first. And I want you to see the root cause or the root that is growing here in Saul's life. Of envy, So you can write down, number one, the root of his envy. And I'm not going to read all through this, but we will look at each verse and I'll just make some comments. So, as they were coming home, where have they been? Well, if you were with us last week or if you went back and read chapter 17, you would see that all of Israel is coming back home after just battling the Philistines. Specifically, there wasn't much of a battle, was there? Because the Philistines were on one side and Israel was scared to death on the other side and they just sat there and stared at each other for 40 plus days. And Goliath kept coming out and saying, look, I'll represent my side. All you've got to do is pick out the best you've got and send him out here and we'll have a one-on-one -on -one 
And whoever wins the one-on-one, the whole group celebrates. Fair enough. And so nobody wants to do that until David comes along. David comes along, he's humble, he's God-centered and Christ-focused. He's not about himself. He didn't show up. Remember, he showed up to bring grilled cheese sandwiches to his brothers. That's why he came. He had bread and cheese for his brothers. He hears this guy blaspheme in the Lord, and he is angry about it, and he is going to fight, or rather surrender himself to be used by God. And David goes out, most of us know the story. He kills Goliath, he chops off his head, and all of the people celebrate because David won, they won too. And everybody is excited except for one guy. One guy is not happy about what's going on. So let's, let's read on here. They're coming home. David returned from striking down the Philistine. The women, so it was typical, the men went out to battle, the women and children stayed home in the cities. And as this big march, victory march was coming back, they would spot it in the distance, and all the people of the city that stayed behind would come out and meet them, and it was like a big parade coming back into town. Celebration. If they took captives, they would march them on through and kind of ridicule them and make fun of them. So that's what we see going on here in verse 6. The women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing. Notice something. They came out singing and dancing. Who did they come out to meet? Saul. What did Saul do? Not much of nothing, really, did he? But he was still the king, even though God had removed the kingdom and the anointing from him and placed it on David. That transition had not taken place yet physically. It had already taken place as far as God was concerned, but it hadn't taken place literally in Israel. So they come out to honor the king, the one that they had requested. That doesn't do much for Saul. It doesn't fill his ego and meet his needs. It says, they came out to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. Notice something else. In verse 7, the women sang to one another. The song that they sang is, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So what this was, have you ever been in church, maybe if you old-timers can remember some of this, it was called responsive reading. So the preacher would say something and you'd repeat it back. So that's kind of what's going on. So one side would say, Saul has struck down his thousands. The other side would say, David is ten thousands. Back and forth. Back and, so you can think about this rhythmic back and forth as they're dancing and playing music and doing this uh, back and forth kind of reciting of this song to one another. But what else was interesting to me was when you look at verse 7 in in the ESV, it says the women sang to one another as they celebrated. That word celebrated is is a different Hebrew word than we would probably think about in our English language. One of the places that it's used, or at least the root word is used, is in Judges chapter 16, verse 25. And and why I found this interesting was if you look at that story... It's Samson, but it's Samson at the end of his life. He has, he has disobeyed God. He has told Delilah his secret to his power, and his hair has been cut off. And as a result, he's been captured. He's been, his eyes are poked out, and he's blind. And it says in Judges 16.25, it happened when their hearts were merry. So everybody's having this big party. They've drank. They've ate. Now they're kind of sitting around and saying, we need some entertainment. 
Well, what do we do now? What's, what's, what's next on the, on the line up here? Their hearts were merry, and they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform. The King James said that we can make sport of him. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. And you might know the rest of the story. He prays for strength one last time to push down those walls. And the whole building collapses and everyone is killed, including him. But what was interesting to me was the same word that is used in our text for the women celebrating is the same word that is used in this when they call for Samson to come out and perform. And as I studied a little bit more, before sporting events, it's common for us to do the national anthem, right? Star Spangled Banner. It's something that we do to recognize our country. So in Near Eastern times and culture, they had a celebration too. So these women are coming out and their celebration is they're basically giving honor to God, yes, but to their country. It would be like us standing up in reverence, taking our hats off and saying the Pledge of Allegiance. In Judges, they bring Samson out and say, we're going to mock you. You do your, your country's little dance. Do your country's little anthem. And while you sing it, we're going to laugh at you. They were mocking the entire nation and God in, in turn. And so that was interesting to me that these women come out and they're celebrating what God has done for their country. Because remember, David won the battle, but God was the one that fought it behind the scenes. And everybody celebrated because of it, except Saul. Look at what his response is. He hears this going on. He sees this going on. And Saul was very angry, very wroth, some translations say. And this saying displeased him. That means to look evil upon someone. It was downright evil for him in his mind to hear that. Like He's like, this is almost like a blasphemous sin for you guys to be saying that. In my presence. Saul was very angry and a saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Envious. Why am I not getting the accolades that David got? Why is he being praised for tens of thousands and me only thousands? Why? 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 Why am I not being honored the way that David is? And what more can he have but the kingdom it leads him already down a road that we've not even traveled and may not travel he starts to think in his mind if this is this bad he's just going to come and take my whole kingdom from me jealousy i want what he's getting he'll never take what i have you see how they both kind of go hand in hand in that text especially based on what we read a minute ago from pastor fowler as he gave a definition like i said when David killed Goliath. Everybody benefited on Israel's side. They were all blessed. They were all rewarded for his faithfulness to God. But Saul couldn't rejoice in this, guys, because it wasn't centered around him. His heart was so puffed up with pride that envy had taken over, and it had to be about him, or he couldn't rejoice in it. Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite commentators and pastors, says in his commentator, commentary about this verse, he says, By nature, we are proud and want to be applauded. From childhood, we have been taught to compete with others. He says, Everybody wears a sign that says, Please make me feel important. Please make me feel important. 
it might shock some people today, hopefully not in this room, but maybe it will, maybe watching online, that the earth revolves around the sun, not you. It does. It does. And envy is such a subtle thing because we can have it, like I said, and it can spread all over in our lives and even in our church and our families and our homes and we not see it. I'll give you an example and I'm not using anybody or anything in the church, but I've seen it happen everywhere. If someone takes the initiative to do something in church, that they say, I've got a burden, I've got a passion, I've got a desire and I'm just going to go ahead and, and do this to be a blessing, to be obedient to God. And they take that step, and the church is blessed. The entire church is blessed by their action. And God is glorified by it. If you can't celebrate that because it wasn't about you, or you weren't asked or invited, that's a big red flag. That's a big red flag that something is going on in your own life. Listen, guys, we ought to be able to clap for other people. We ought to be able to celebrate. If we pray for revival, and it happens at Freedom, or Hamilton Christian Center, or Princeton Pike, and not here, we ought to be able to clap our hands. If it's real, and folks are getting saved, and God is moving, we ought to be just as happy that it's happening for the kingdom as it is not happening here. If God wants it to happen here, it'll happen. What are we doing personally to prepare ourselves for that? Are we taking prayer, repentance, and all those things seriously? But we ought to be able to celebrate God's people and their victories, especially when we all are partaking in it. Guys, we're all on the same team in this room, I hope. I hope that it's not a competition, you know, because God exalts the lowly, and He will humble the proud. We have got to make this thing about Him and not us. And like I said, I titled this message, and that can be anywhere, not just church. That can be in any situation. That can be in your job. That can be in your school. If somebody gets what you felt like you should have got, can you still celebrate them and say, my time will come. My time will come. God's got a plan for me. That was for them. I'm going to rejoice for them, and I'm going to wait for my turn. Or are you full of rage and bitter and complaining and ungratefulness? I titled this Poison Envy because envy is just like poison ivy, that little blister. And it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. Saul's envy leads to anger. In Proverbs 14.30, the Bible says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. It literally rots the very foundation, the skeletal structure of your body away. That's a pretty serious thing to think about. Envy is rottenness to the bones. I thought about this this week too. We know that as, as believers, we are to avoid sin, right? We are to put to death sin, to, to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. But the reason why sin is so difficult and temptations are so easy to fall into is just about every sin I could think of, at least for the short term, at least in the moment, it does, on a, on a surface for the flesh, bring some kind of gratification, it does give some kind of pleasure or excitement, whether it's alcohol, drugs, lust, you name it. There is some momentary gratification to the flesh. I can't think of one pleasurable thing that envy brings. Nothing. It doesn't even give you a fleshly gratification. It just makes you miserable. 
All the time. And you might know people like that. They just are constantly upset because they never feel like they've gotten what they deserve, what they ought to have. It's so much about them that they're constantly walking around miserable and they can never celebrate anything that's going on around them because of that. What a sad place to be in. I think a good example of that, if you know the story of the prodigal son, right? He went out into the far country, he gets in the pig pen, and he finally comes to his senses and he's coming home. And we often focus in that story about the father and the prodigal. But there's another character in that story. He had an older brother, didn't he? And, and we don't hear a lot about the brother, but in Luke 15:30, listen to what the older brother says to the father as this son has come back. Now listen, if your brother had left home and you didn't know what had happened to him and he had gotten his life in a mess and one day up the road here he come and he gets back and he is repentance, repenting and he's a different person and he just wants to be back in the family, I would hope that you would clap and celebrate and rejoice for what God was doing in his life and throw your arms around him just like the father did and hug him. But listen to how the brother responds. As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and you killed the fatted calf for him, he goes on a tirade and says, Did you forget what this guy did? I've been here the whole time, faithfully serving you, working in the fields, doing the things that you've asked me to do, respecting you and honoring you, and then here comes this guy and we have a party for him. Envy. I deserve what he's got. Why is he getting it when I've been here doing all the work? The envy had consumed him in his life. And here's the dangerous thing. That envy, if you let it spread, if you let it take hold of your life, not only will it breed other sins like it did with Saul, anger and fear in his case, those things will absolutely become strongholds in your life. The Bible talks about strongholds in our lives. And the more that you feed a sin, the more that you neglect to deal with that sin, the stronger it will get in your life. There is no doubt about it, guys. If you surround yourself with godly things, if you're in the Word and in prayer and in church and doing the things that God has called us to do, you will be strengthened spiritually. On the flip side, if you neglect those things and watch filth and listen to filth and hang around people who enjoy filth, those things are going to take root in your life. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm saying you're opening yourself up to allow sin to take a stronghold in your life. I'm not saying it can't be tore down. I'm not saying that Jesus hasn't already died for that and declared victory over that. I'm saying that when you swing open those doors and keep playing with that stuff, it is going to cause damage in your spiritual walk. It has to. And it will. And so these things are working in Saul's life. And he's letting them, and it's feeding more and more into it. So let's go on. We see this root is getting down deep, and you know it won't be long. The weather will be warm. We'll be cutting grass again, and the root, the weeds will be popping up everywhere. And no matter how many times you mow them down, chop the top off, if you don't get down in there and dig that root out, they keep coming back, don't they? The root is getting deeper in Saul's life. And number two, write this down. Now we'll see the reaction to his envy. We saw the root of the envy getting deep. Now we're going to see the reaction that comes from it. Verse 9, Saul eyed David from that day on. Who is it in your life 
that you've constantly got your eye on and every time you see them, you just get angry. Because you're envious of them. You're jealous of them. You, have, you can't forgive them. Do you have that person? It's kind of just looking up under your glasses, peering out under your eyebrows and saying, oh boy, there they are again. There's that one. If you see them in the store, you hide behind the clothes rack so you don't have to talk to them. Right? Or you pretend you turn around and start looking at stuff that you're not really looking at because you don't want them to see you. Who is that person in your life? If you're honest, you probably got one. Because I think at some point in our life, we all do. Why won't we deal with it? Because it's easier to avoid your sin than to confront it. It's always easier to avoid the difficult things than to confront them. But I'm telling you, if there's bitterness and envy and resentment and unforgiveness in your life, until you deal with that, you will never be at peace. Not as a believer. Not as a believer, you won't. You can't be. Saul is consumed with this. That's all he can think about. Like, David doesn't even have to do anything. David, in a lot of these situations, is trying to do good to Saul. He's trying to be a blessing to him. But Saul is so consumed with this that every time he sees David, all he can think about is rage. All he can think about is, is just vengeance in his life. It's just consuming him. Jesus wants us to love our neighbors. That's what He challenges us to do. But the enemy loves to sow discord among the brethren. He wants to separate and divide. You can't love somebody you can't even be in the same room with. You can't love somebody that you can't even stomach to look at. Now, don't get me wrong. We've talked about this a million times. There are situations in life where reconciliation is not only not possible, it's not wise. Reconciliation is a whole different story. Reconciliation, two parties who were offended coming back together and restoring that relationship, that's wonderful. And that's the goal. But it's not always possible. But forgiveness is not optional. Whether or not the relationship is ever restored, whether or not you ever hang out with that person again, do things with that person again, forgiving them is not optional. And until you do that, that envy, that anger, that bitterness, whatever it is that's spawning off of this is going to continue just like it did with Saul. Look at what it says in verse 10. The next day, an evil or a harmful spirit from who? From God rushed upon Saul. Saul had the Holy Spirit. Remember in the Old Testament, we weren't indwelt. They weren't indwelt. The Holy Spirit didn't come in and seal them. He came and went on people. And so when he was anointed as king, the Spirit was on him. But as his disobedience and his sin continued to be more and more common, God removed that anointing from his life. The Spirit of God was taken off of him and given to David. And now an evil spirit is allowed to come upon Saul. And what's interesting to me is, and I believe that it's all part of this unrepentant lifestyle of Saul, we see that twice. We see in, I believe it's chapter 15 and then again here, this evil spirit coming upon him. We don't see it anymore after these few times. Because I believe that at first, there was a little bit of still back and forth. But Saul gives himself so over to this thing that the Spirit just says, I'm just going to stay here. I don't need to keep coming and going. This is a place where I can set up shop. I can just hang out here permanently. And we see it in Saul's life. He continues more and more to try to kill David. He gets angrier and angrier as these stories go on in his life. It says that this harmful spirit came upon 
upon Saul and he raved. That literally means to prophecy ecstatically. So he just maybe mumbling under his breath, maybe just speaking out loud, who knows. But he's just fit to be tied, basically. Who knows what he was saying. Probably not something nice. This harmful spirit rushed upon him and he raved within the house while David, what's David doing? He's playing an instrument. Maybe he's minding his own business. Maybe he's playing for the king. You know, that would be like David trying to calm things down, trying to de-escalate the situation. David was a humble heart, seeking God's will. He didn't want to fight with Saul. He was the king. Saul was still the king in David's eyes. He didn't want to harm him. He didn't want to hurt him. He's in there playing. Saul had his spear in his hand. In verse 11, Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Can you imagine letting your sin get so bad that you would like to kill somebody? I hope, I hope nobody in here has gotten to that point. But here's the scary thing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Did He not say that? Now we'll dismiss that, won't we? Because again, it's easier to dismiss it than deal with it. We'll say, well, everybody gets mad. I'm human. Who doesn't get mad? We're not given that wiggle room. My question to you, the Bible question to you is who is that person in your life that you are continually made angry by just thinking about them by looking at them and and wishing you had what they had and wishing that you were blessed the way they were blessed who is that person in your life first john 3 15 says everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him i didn't write that That's what it says. I'm just reading that to you and I want to read it again. I want you to think about what it says. Everyone, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Pastor, we all get angry. We've all been there where we hate somebody. If we're honest. I've never hated anybody. I bet you have. I bet you have. You might try to call it something else, but I bet you have. Say, well, if, if that's the case, and no murderer has eternal life, then how can anybody be saved? Because Christians sin, and lost people sin. But Christians respond differently to their sin than lost people do. That's the difference. When I was lost and I sinned, I didn't care. I justified it. I made excuses for it. I didn't believe in God, so I wasn't worried about what He thought. And I didn't like Christians, so I didn't care what you all thought. And that was my life. Until I got saved. You know what's different now? I deeply care about what God thinks. I deeply want to please God. And when I sin, as I do every day, I have to take it to Him and say, Lord, I forgive me. Cleanse me. Not, I don't say, Lord, save me again, because He saved me once, and that's all you need. But I say, Lord... I'm not where I need to be. I'm not pleasing you. I'm not honoring you. My, my heart and my walk is not where it needs to be until I deal with this thing and give it to you. I'm not going to be right. That's the difference. Lost people don't respond that way. Saul doesn't respond that way. And if you, resp- if you don't respond that way, you simply prove that you may not have what you think you have. That's all I'm saying. That's all this is saying. You look at our world today and it's so full of anger. It's so full of envy. And I think about, the Bible says, the God of this world is like a roaring lion. 
seeking who he can devour back and forth every day. He's got people so mad and so envious and so jealous and so bitter. And if they don't see the need, if you don't see your need today and repent, one of these days he's going to devour you down for eternity. That's the seriousness of this. We see it in the reaction. How do you react in your life? Are you gentle and patient and long-suffering and all the things that the fruits of the Spirit say or are you quick to anger and quick to explode and quick to find fault with everything and everybody? The reaction from his envy leads finally to a reward for David. We've looked at Saul a lot. We haven't said much about David. David is the complete opposite of Saul. Because why wouldn't he be? I believe a, you're looking at a believer and an unbeliever. So the response is going to be different. Look at these last few verses. Verse 12. Saul was afraid of David. Now his envy, which led to anger, has led to fear. And that fear is going to continue to feed the other things. Because he's, now he's worried all the time about David getting his kingdom. David getting more recognition. David doing this. David doing that. And it just all these things are feeding each other. And those strongholds are getting so powerful in his life. And he's not dealing with them. He's not repenting of those things. And it's only going to get worse. Saul was afraid of David because why? The Lord was with him. That is ultimately the real issue here. Saul looked at Goliath and was trying to figure out ways to fight Goliath. David looked at Goliath and saw God fighting for him. Now, now, Saul is looking at David and trying to figure out how to get rid of David. And he doesn't really see that he's not fighting David, he's fighting God. He's fighting God. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. God I see what you're doing in this guy's life. Why aren't you doing it for me? He already knows the answer to that. God told him. Samuel told him why God had rejected him. Because of his disobedience. But in his envy, he can't even make sense of things anymore. He goes on and says in verse 13, So Saul removed him, David, from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. So Saul, logically speaking here, I believe it's pretty obvious to see what Saul's doing. He says, I couldn't kill him with the spear. I'll put him in charge of the army and send him out to battle and hopefully somebody out there will kill him. That's what's going on. He didn't give him promotion because he thought, well, David's a pretty good guy and we'll let bygones be bygones and I'm going to just give him a good position here. He's still trying to get rid of him. He's trying to send him out of his presence and hopefully while he's out there he'll get killed and we won't have to deal with him anymore. That envy is eating him up. One, one writer said, Envy is ultimately outrage directed at God. It's fueled by a conviction that the prosperity, opportunity, or blessing we desire went to the wrong person. You're basically saying, God, you made a mistake. That was supposed to have been mine. Why did they get it? I deserved it. It goes on. Let's, let's finish this up. Verse 14, David had success in all his undertakings. Why? Because the Lord was with him. How can you not be blessed when you're walking in the ways of God? 
Verse 15, and when Saul, Saul saw that he had great success, what happens? He stands in fearful awe. He is afraid again. He's afraid again. Afraid of who? David. Who should he have been afraid of? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But he's so irrational, he can't even think right anymore. He's fighting against God, and all of his anger is directed at David, and his heart is the problem. His heart is the problem. It's not about David, it's not about God, it's about him. And if you would just get right with God, all this stuff would be removed off his life. And it will yours too. You're mad at this person, you're mad at the pastor, you're mad at the church, you're mad at your boss, you're mad at your spouse. And you don't even see that the issue is in your heart. Do they have faults? Yes. Who doesn't? Did they wrong you? Maybe. But I'm talking about what you can control. You can't control what anybody else does. You can control how you respond. And that's all you're responsible for. That's all I'm responsible for. I can't make you all happy every day, and I quit trying a long time ago. All I can do is be responsible to try to lead and pastor as best as I can according to the Word of God. Some people will like it. Some people won't. Some people will stay. Some people will go. That's not my responsibility. I have got to try to shepherd according to what God wants. And hopefully you want the same thing, to see Him glorified and to see this church grow, to see the lost saved. And if you do, I think you'll find a place here that you'll enjoy. But if you want us to worship you, it's not going to go well. It's just not. I remember Francis Chan a long time ago before he kind of went off in the left field a little bit. He, he said it might have been in one of his books, but he talk, I think it was Francis Chan. He talked about someone came up to him after service and said, Pastor, I didn't really enjoy the worship songs today very much. And he said, well, that's good because we weren't singing them for you. We were singing them for God. And I mean, you know, that's true. I mean, we might not, you might not always, it's okay if you don't like everything we sing or you don't like everything I preach. That's okay, you have that right. I'm not saying that's bad or you're sinning if you don't enjoy every song we do. But if every week you're miserable because everything hasn't been done the way you feel like it ought to be done, you need to ask God to check your heart and find out why, you know, why, what's going on? Why am I miserable all the time? Why am I envious all the time? So let's look real quick. We're going to wrap up because I don't want to just give you all the bad and not give you some hope here how do we deal with this if we've got envy in our hearts if we're honest about it and we feel like this morning god's exposed some of that in our life how do do we deal with it i'm gonna give you four things real quick number one you've got to confess it no more covering it up no more lathering a cala drill all over and hoping it's just gonna go away if it's there and it's spreading you've got to deal with it and it starts by confessing it confessing it doesn't just mean saying it with your mouth confessing it means agreeing with god what it is Envy is a sin that needs to be dealt with, and you have got to deal with it. James 3.14 says, If you have bitter envy, it is bitter too, bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. James has been talking about wisdom in this chapter, and the tongue, and and how to seek wisdom in those things. And in a nutshell, he's saying if, if you walk around with envy and self-seeking in your heart, you're not wise, you're a fool. I mean, that's my paraphrase, but that's basically what he's saying. And we are. We're acting foolishly to let that stuff linger in our life when it is destroying us. I like to be happy. I like to have joy. And if I know there's something in my life that's causing me to be miserable, I don't know about you, but I don't like being miserable. Some days you just wake up and you're miserable. You're just miserable just because, right? It's not just me, come on. You wake up and you have bad days, amen? 
You do. And you don't even know why. You're just mad. Just mad at everything. Mad at the alarm clock. Mad at bill collectors. Mad at everything. I'm telling you, we all get there. But we can't let that bitterness... It's awful. You have, your whole day is ruined because you woke up miserable and you didn't deal with it. You didn't confess it. You didn't say, man, I'm not starting my day off. Devil, you're not getting me. Flesh, you're not getting me. I'm starting off my day. God, give me joy. Get rid of this and let me walk in joy. Confess it, whether it started today or it's been 10 years in your life. Today is the day you need to deal with it. Number two, we have got to replace the envy with something. If you just rip it out and throw it away and don't put something else in its place, there's just a hole there that is going to be filled up by something else. Fill it up with something and that something is love. Ask God to fill your heart today with love. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not what? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. David responded all through this story. Look, look at, just think about it. The women come out singing praises. About David, really more. They bragged on Saul a little bit, but they was really bragging on David. Saul was furious. We don't have any account of David getting puffed up. He could have said, yeah, that's right, that's me. I'm the one, 10,000. I did it. I don't see anything about him getting puffed up. Saul tries to kill him. I don't read anything about David retaliating. I think most of the time when someone threw a spear at us, we're not just going to keep playing the guitar and act like everything's okay, are we? I wouldn't have. But, you know, David gets up and leaves and we don't hear anything about him trying to do anything. He just simply keeps doing what is asked of him and God just keeps blessing him. Because I believe he had the right heart and the right mind and he loved, certainly loved Jonathan, Saul's son, and I believe he had a love for Saul too, even though Saul hated him. Number three, if we want to get rid of envy, we need to learn contentment in our life. We've got to stop worrying about what everybody else has and be content with what God has given us in our season, right? Things change all the time. Where you're at today probably isn't going to be where you're going to be next month, next year, tomorrow, if we're honest. But while we're, where we're at, we need to be content. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That is a great verse to consider. Not an easy verse, but a really good verse for us to try to live by. We'll never have... Listen... Do you think that the richest people on earth have everything that they want? They're always going to want more. The human heart is never satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. I've never seen somebody say, well, I, I mean, you know, maybe as a believer you would, but I've got enough money. I've never, let me put it this way. I've never seen anybody go to their boss and say, hey, I got a raise last month. I'd like you to take that back. I've got enough. Here, have the bonus back. Give it to somebody else. Because, and I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying that we never can get enough of anything, right? Learn to be content. Learn to be content. Because if we're not content, we're always looking at someone else. And if you're not careful, you'll start chasing the things of the world. I got to that place. I was saved. I was living for the Lord. I was called to preach and running from it. And I started to look at things in the world and think, man, a, a bigger house would be nice, new cars would be nice, more money would be nice. And I got all those things. And they consumed me. And God took a back seat. In Psalm 73.3, David got to that place, believe it or not. 
He said, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I've talked to many Christians that say, you know what, ever since I've become a Christian, I've tried to live for God, things just get worse and worse, harder and harder. I'm so tired of trying to do what's right, and everything gets more difficult. And I look over here at these people, and I look over here at these people, and they live like the devil, do everything wrong, and it seems like they got everything they want. They don't have troubles, they don't have trials. Yes, they do. Sure they do. But in the moment, we think, man, why should I keep trying? It's not worth it. The enemy wants you to quit. He wants you to want what they have. He wants you to trade your soul for the world. That's a bad deal, guys. That is a bad, bad trade-off. Number four, and I'm done. Walk in the Spirit. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.21. And envy is listed there as a work of the flesh. But in Galatians 5.21, as he lists all these works of the flesh, and envy being one of them, he says this again, I warn you, if he's given a warning, we all take heed of it. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Over and over and over again, he's saying, you need to take inventory of your life. I don't care if you've made a profession. I don't care if you filled out a card when you were at VBS. I don't care if you've got a Bible that's got your name printed in gold letters on the front and your baptism certificate taped to the inside cover. That doesn't mean anything if your life has not been changed. If you are truly not born again, when you stand before God, you're not going to come up to Him with your, with your King James Bible and say, when I was six, I got baptized. They put my name on the Bible. I signed a card, and here's my baptism certificate. I'm ready to enter the kingdom. That ain't going to get you in. I'm not going to stand before God someday and say, Lord, I preached hundreds of sermons. I saw people saved under my ministry. I planted a church. I did good works. Aren't you glad to have me? That's not why I'm getting in. There was a day in my life where I saw that I was lost and I saw that I was hell bound. And Jesus stretched out His hand and He offered me mercy when I didn't deserve it. And all I could do was cry like a baby and say, I want that. I want to be forgiven. I'm sorry for my sin. All the lust and pornography that I was so caught up in, all the anger and bitterness and envy that I had in my life, I had to give it to Him. Do I still battle those things? Absolutely. Have I been set free from those things? Absolutely. Did He save me and make me different that day? Absolutely. Can He do that for you today? Absolutely. You have got to confess. We've heard a lot this week about revival. And I pray that it comes all over this nation. I pray that God's... Because it starts with us. It starts with us. Lost people getting saved is regeneration. That'll be a fruit of revival. But the revival has to take place in the church. It's got to start with us. We've got to get hungry again. My Bible says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. I don't think we're hungry enough is the problem. We'll show up for a snack on Sunday maybe, but we don't want to eat seven days a week. We don't want too much Jesus. We don't want to be too radical. We don't want people to think we're a fanatic. Heaven forbid. And so we just got enough of Jesus to make us feel good about ourselves on Sunday. I want all of Jesus. And I want to give Him all of me. Every bit I got. I fail Him every day, guys. And you will too. Don't think, well, I can't make a commitment to Jesus that I can't keep. It's not a contract. He doesn't ask you to come up and sign a contract and keep your end of the bargain. He just says, come and trust me. Surrender your life to me. And believe that I can do what I said I can do for you. 
The Bible says that if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you will repent and believe, that's the only way. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And there is only one name that you can call upon, and that is Jesus. The Bible says there is no name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. That name is Jesus. No matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, if you'll come this morning today and cry out to Him, He will save you. And if you're a believer today and you're not walking with Him, all that's behind you. There is a fresh start right up here at the altar for you. If you will come and say, Lord, I'm tired of my envy, I'm tired of my pride, I'm tired of my lust, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that, whatever it is. God, I want to do business with you and deal with this today, and I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I can't keep that commitment in my own strength, but I'm trusting you to help me. We're going to give an invitation. I'm going to invite Brian and Daryl and Kim to come, and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And during that time of song, it's an opportunity for you to respond. I've preached as best I can the word to you this morning. And now you have got to do what God is calling you to do. If you're lost, you can be saved this morning. If you don't know how, come up here and I'll walk you through the Bible as best I can and show you how you can be saved. Other people will do that. If you're scared to death, grab somebody's hand and they'll come with you. If you've got sin in your life, church, it's time to deal with it. If you want revival, if you've watched those videos at Asbury and say, man, I would love to see that happen, it's got to start with you. Don't look around and say, boy, I wish that person would get right. I wish that person would get right. I wish you would get right. You get right and see what happens. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the word that you've given us, Lord, for the, the need that I think we all realize God has to happen in our churches and in our hearts if we want to really see revival, if we want to see a difference, Lord. I believe, I believe with all my heart that your return is near. And God, I'm thankful that I believe that perhaps you're giving us one final chance to see, so, see souls saved and see the church make a difference before that day comes and it's too late for many people. God, if that's the case, please help us today to lay aside our pride, our fear, our doubts, and come and trust you, Lord. I pray today for the lost, that you would save them, for the backslider, that they'd come home, for the saint that's on the fence, that they would surrender and serve you. If they're called to be a preacher, a missionary, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, whatever you're dealing with them, that today would be the day where you finally break into their heart and they step out in faith and do it. They need to join the church, get baptized, Lord. Whatever you're doing, have your way in this invitation and we'll give you all the thanks as we surrender our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand this morning, you come. The altar is open.